Welcome to The Soccer File. Hi, I'm Simon Evans in Miami and welcome to The Soccer File. And today we're taking a look at FIFA's momentous decision to expand the World Cup from a 32-team tournament to a 48-team tournament. In a little while, Rob Harris from the Associated Press, who's been following this story closely, will join us to look at the background to this decision, what it means, and what it tells us about Gianni Infantino's leadership of FIFA and what kind of politicking we can expect in the battle for those 16 extra places. And of course, the big questions about how the qualification process is going to work. But before we go into that interview with Rob, I'm going to do something a little bit different for the soccer file. Normally, it's been a case of me talking to our guests and getting their opinions. I felt today that it's a good day for me to maybe share my views on things and I've looked at this issue for the last couple of weeks and I've been undecided about it really. And I was on Sirius XM earlier uh, when they were asking me about this and I said I was you know, sort of ambivalent about it. Um, because on the one hand, it's so obviously ridiculous to make the World Cup even bigger. 32 teams has worked pretty well. It's a good number. It's one of those logical numbers for tournaments like 16, 32, 64. Things just work with those numbers. Going to groups of three teams carries all kinds of potential problems with it. Most of all, I'm not sure we're going to see a huge amount of potentially dodgy fixed games. But I do worry about a number of dead rubbers. Uh, and there's the biggest problem I have with this decision is not the idea of expanding the World Cup to other countries and diluting the quality. The, the quality of the tournament is going to be diluted, there's no doubt about that. But the World Cup's always been a balance between having the best teams in the world there and giving an opportunity to people around the world, countries around the world, to, to take the biggest stage of all. And ever since, I think, you know, 1982, when it went to 24 teams... Once it left behind 16 teams dominated by Europe and South America, it's become a different kind of tournament. But the important thing, I think, for the World Cup that's allowed it to continue growing and be popular has been that the latter stages do become the best against the best. You want the quarterfinal stage to be top, top teams against each other. Now, that might well be the case with this 48-team World Cup. We should still filter out the weak teams, and end up mostly with the quarterfinals being the best teams in the world. But there's still something slightly ridiculous about a situation where a Holland could miss out or an Italy could miss out, and yet an Uzbekistan or a Burkina Faso could be there in, in the World Cup. And I just think it's gone too far the balance the other way. And let me give you an example of a tournament that, that has got it wrong in another sport, and I know there's not many cricket followers on here amongst our American listeners anyway, but the Cricket World Cup involves a lot of countries now, associate nations, or has done, there's going to be a move away from it, but the last few editions of the Cricket World Cup have involved a lot of matches involving countries that, that don't play cricket at the highest level, and there's a lot of games that are just a case of eliminating these teams who turn up, get their chance, they get an experience, yes, it's growing the game, but basically, there's a lot of games at the start of the tournament that are just weeding teams out until we get down to the real thing. 
and I love cricket and I used to watch the World Cup all the time and I don't bother watching those early games and I don't think a lot of cricket fans do either and I think this is what's going to happen with the World Cup and I think it happened to some degree at the Euros fans are not going to be tuning in to four games a day from the World Cup if they involve teams that aren't of the highest standard. Yes, we'll watch teams that aren't our own countries. People around the world are happy to do that. We always want to watch Messi and Argentina. We always want to watch Brazil, Germany, Italy, France, Portugal. All these nations, we're happy to watch them play, even if we don't care whether they win or lose, because they're going to provide us some, some interesting entertainment. The problem now with this structure is that round of 16 groups of three probably not going to be interested in very many of those games at all and I think people are going to switch out and then hopefully for the broadcaster's sake and FIFA's sake they will tune in when it starts to matter but that tells you I think why this decision has been a mistaken one because what you're doing is basically creating a token gesture stage of the World Cup where you're bringing in teams from Africa and Asia who can't compete yet at the top level with the teams from South America and Europe and you're giving them a chance to do what? To turn up and lose which is what the vast majority of those teams are going to do and this show is all about the global game we talk with respect about football in Asia and Africa and in the Caribbean and in Central America and we want to see those countries compete but improve and get there get to that level you need to be at and you do that through going through tough qualification places and through doing well in your continental championships whether it's the gold cup the euros or or the the asian cup those are places where nations can get better and get chances to test themselves against better teams and improve not the world cup the world cup is not a development project the World Cup is about the pinnacle of the game and hopefully we still get the pinnacle of game at the end of it. But I just worry that people might just get a little bit fatigued with it. We have so much football going on. We have such big tournaments and now FIFA are talking about expanding the Club World Cup as well. A tournament that very few people around the world care about. Some do, some do. It's a big deal in South America, quite often has been. can be a huge deal in Asia. But going to 16 teams with that is on the agenda as well. This seems to be Infantino's obsession. He's the man who, of course, was behind expanding the Euros as well. A decision which didn't work out that badly, I don't think. I think the criticism's been a little bit over the top. But it wasn't necessary. It absolutely wasn't necessary. We're going to have a lot of unintended consequences as well from this decision. The qualification systems are going to have to be tweaked to work so that somehow they remain competitive and interesting and I think they might be taking a risk there as well because the broadcast companies pay for those qualifiers as well and they want a good product on the field and if all the big teams are pretty much sure of qualifying and then the rest of it is a battle of the minnows to take up these extra 16 places I'm not sure that's going to be compelling television viewing during the regular football season when we're already saturated with coverage of the Champions League and the Premier League, La Liga and everything else. So, it's been a political decision at the end of the day. Infantino promised a lot more money 
to the member associations around the world. He can hope to generate more money through this. But if not, at least he can say he's offered 16 countries an extra World Cup spot. And of course, those 16 countries, it's giving hope to maybe another 50 countries. And in the world of one nation, one vote within FIFA, that's probably a smart bit of politics from Infantino. It's going to happen though. It's going to be a reality. We can just hope that they get the qualification decisions right. I think there's a lot of trouble to come though because I think a lot of people are hoping to win out of this and they can't all be winners. I think uh, there's going to be a real battle over who gets those extra places and there might be some surprises in store and I think it's going to put a strain on some of these confederations. I really do. I think, uh, you know, you look at our own confederation here in North America and Central America and the Caribbean. I'm not sure that the Caribbean is going to look at this fantastic opportunity for developing football countries and sit back and watch a system be put in place which is going to see Honduras, Costa Rica, Panama all joining the USA and Mexico and Costa Rica in, in the World Cup every time. They might want to see something a little bit different. There's going to be some strains, there's going to be some arguments, there's going to be a lot of horse trading. And uh, frankly, it's all a bit tiresome. I really wish that FIFA had left the World Cup alone. I do. I'd love to see a second tournament. I think some sports have got it right where they give an opportunity to those second-tier nations in developing countries with like a B World Cup where you go and host it in a country that's never going to host a World Cup and let's have Burkina Faso versus Uzbekistan. I'm a soccer nerd, and a lot of you people who listen are, and I'd quite happily go and watch Burkina Faso versus Uzbekistan. But that's not a World Cup game. That's not what the World Cup's all about. Anyway, that's my take on it. I'll be interested in your views. Um, but it's a reality, and we should find out the details about what's gone on. So let's talk to Rob Harris from the Associated Press. So I'm joined by Rob Harris, Associated Press's prolific football correspondent in London, who's been covering the FIFA story closely and also interviewed Gianni Infantino recently. Rob, this has been portrayed as a political triumph for Infantino, his first real big triumph as FIFA president. Is that what it's all about? Well, he put uh, expanding the World Cup at the heart of his manifesto when he won the election in February and he's managed to deliver within a year, although his manifesto promised a 40-team World Cup. Now we're on a 48-team World Cup from 2026. Uh, might have caught many fans by surprise who weren't paying attention to that detail during the campaign because it was all about who would be the man who would win necessarily rather than some of the key policies. But uh, now it's something the football world's going to have to get used to. It is. I mean, the criticism of it is that, you know, while it broadens opportunity, it dilutes the quality of the World Cup. How has Infantino addressed that? Well, he's actually saying it's all about bringing FIFA showpiece tournament to more of the world's population. The fact it is quite limited now at 32 teams. And, you know, some of this debate has been approached from the fact that almost the World Cup has been 32 teams since day one in 1930, when, of course, it has steadily grown and we've only had 32 teams since 1998. So it is a, a competition that has always expanded and sort of moved with the times. And uh, now FIFA itself has grown to 211 members. There are moves from many parts of the world, not from our vantage points in the US, in, in the UK, to actually 
enable more teams to sort of join the party. And I think particularly Africa as well, a, a continent that they might see themselves limited their opportunities to actually go to the World Cup. I was going to say that. Let's have a look at the, the, the potential winners and losers of this because what we haven't been told today is exactly how this is going to break down. Uh, we've been told it's going to be three groups of 16 teams. That's been voted on. 48 teams has been voted on. But nothing else has, as far as I understand. Right, Rob? Yeah, there's no actual decision yet on the uh, the placings. Obviously, the biggest of them all, UEFA, with uh, 14 places for Europe. There's a suggestion that could go up to 16. Obviously, it's 14 now because there's a Russia as host automatically qualify uh, next time. Uh, but I think it's most interesting how it affects... Uh, where you are there in North America with uh, what um, three and a half spots now. And if that sort of goes up to six, seven places, it's going to make qualifying very interesting or or intriguing or less interesting because you've got uh, almost guaranteed entry to Mexico in the US. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been hearing a few different whispers, let's put it that way, about, about the situation out here. I mean, the, there was obviously the push by Venezuela uh, from Commonwealth, South America, saying that, that you know, oh, Infantino's quite into the idea of a joint CONCACAF Commonwealth qualifying process, which people have walked back from a little bit today in Zurich, I understand. Um, Venezuela obviously have a vested interest in that being the case because basically in any South American qualifying that's happened over the last 50 years, Venezuela's never got out of it, uh, apart from once when they got there and then didn't go. Um, but they, you know, for Bolivia and Venezuela, it's extremely difficult, even if Commonwealth were to get eight places, uh, which is more than most people expect to get, for them to qualify. But if you had a mega qualifying tournament, they'd get the chance to, you know, defeat the likes of Panama and Honduras. They'd, they'd have a chance. So it's no surprise they're pushing that one. But also, you know, you look at the Caribbean and you see there's 25 of the 30-something nations in CONCACAF are actually from the Caribbean, two-thirds of it, basically. And they don't have any guaranteed qualification spot. I mean, you look at it and wonder if they're not going to be starting to push for maybe, I don't know, a separate process or some guarantees through the qualification process that there's a Caribbean element to it. Do you think there's going to be a lot of horse trading? Well, what's interesting from that, of course, is by Infantino going forward with this plan now, he's got an election to win again in two years' time if he stands for re-election. So maybe he holds off on these uh, spots uh, for a few years and actually turns that into the political bargaining uh, chip for his re-election campaign because it's those the likes of those Caribbean members who will need the support again if he's to seek re-election uh, and he did actually make a big play of going round the, the, them when uh, beating Sheikh Salman in the campaign um, a year ago uh, and I think he realises that there is a sort of underdevelopment of Caribbean football and that's largely due to, of course, now we know so much of the money was being siphoned off rather than going to the projects that, that it should have been. And maybe that would have helped to develop uh, football. But I think when we look ahead to qualifying for 2026, um, if it is a US, Canada and Mexico uh, joint bid is, um, is being talked about, then effectively you've got three big uh, two big players from the region who will automatically go forward to the uh, final. So how that affects qualifying is going to be uh, a big thing to determine because you don't want to lose your US-Mexico fixture, which is obviously the thing so many people tune in for in the region. It is, yeah. It's hard to imagine three host nations if it was the, the triple hosting process, which is being talked about quite seriously. If it was that, it's hard to imagine all three of them being given an automatic place in the World Cup. And 
you know, there's also, you know, there's been some talk about if there is a big CONCACAF World Cup hosting that the Caribbean might want to have a group stage game in, say, Kingston or, or, or in, in uh, Port of Spain, Trinidad or somewhere just to get some fixtures. And you start to look at these fixtures now and it doesn't actually sound as ridiculous or as unfeasible as it once did because, you know, we're going to be talking about in 2026, let's just say it was held in the United States, but you're going to have potentially games such as Burkina Faso against Uzbekistan, right? Yes, and these are um, fixtures that won't necessarily appeal to a lot of television viewers. But as we've seen with the Euros, if you start to give entry into the tournament for some of these countries that haven't previously been on, on the sort of big stage, like Iceland, uh, on the European level, Wales, then actually maybe you actually do raise the level of those countries' football, as Infantino argues. Um, the counterpoint being, obviously, that a lot of those newcomers who went to the Euros would have qualified anyway under the old format because of their positions in the standings. But it is, a, I think, about taking football beyond our um, known territories as those times we're used to sort of seeing at the finals. And again, as FIFA keep pointing out, Costa Rica, who many would dismissing the sort of football uh, heartlands as not being a power. They're the ones who managed to qualify to the last 16 ahead of Italy and uh, our beloved England at the last World Cup. So uh, I don't think we can assume our place in the pecking order of football anymore as uh, as the global game expands. And uh, what, I suppose what's significant is the fact that this decision was taken today. We won't be able to really judge for another nine years if it's been a success by which point... Uh, a lot of the executives who made this it will be long gone. Yeah, exactly, and a lot of the commentators talking about it as well. But but when you look at you look at um, Europe's reaction to this, I've been surprised by how muted it's been, really, and how how willing they've been to go along with this. Because you know, currently Europe has basically almost half of the the spots in in the World Cup, roughly fourteen out of thirty two. And it's, you know, even if it was to go up to 16, it's still only going to be there a third of the World Cup. So it's going to be a massively less European uh, event. And yet we've heard no protests from UEFA. None of the European FAs, apart from the Germans who've mumbled a little bit, have come out against it. Just the clubs who seem to come out against a lot of things from FIFA these days. Um, Are you surprised by how willing UEFA has been to just sort of sit back and let this happen? Well, it's sort of shifted, actually, because Sheffrin, who's a few months into his UEFA presidency, was sort of agitating a bit a few weeks ago that he didn't have enough information. And you almost thought he was sort of uh, setting himself up for a bit of a, a spat with um, Infantino over the expansion plans. But uh, he's sort of coming to line and UEFA is actually now backing uh, the expansion, which seems logical for someone like Sheffrin from Slovenia, who his country's only qualified a few times and his heartland of his support is very much the smaller UEFA members who don't get to go to the World Cup mm. so but but when we talk about UEFA's position in it I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to run some polling on uh, those fans outside of Europe and whether they would actually prefer to see um, Italy at the finals or some smaller nation because of course we've got the situation now where Italy or Spain could miss out from Russia because obviously that's uh, they're in the same group with only one automatic qualification place. So it's always that sense, whereas we sort of might discuss expanding 
the World Cup to include the sort of less, you know, the smaller nations with it, with, and who don't have the star players would actually privately some fans around the world prefer to be seeing the big name countries there rather than some maybe newcomers from their own region. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the World Cup has never really just been about the best against the best. It, it gets like that, obviously, at, at the final end of the tournament. Um, you know, the last eight should be like that, I think, really. And there's no reason why a 48-team tournament wouldn't have an exciting last eight. It's more about the first couple of weeks of the tournament, really. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could end up with a situation where you have, as you say, an Italy or, or a Holland not in the World Cup, but you do have an Uzbekistan or a Burkina Faso or teams who were ranked below 100th in the FIFA rankings in the world. I mean, it's a balance, isn't it? And we've had this 32 teams has been a balance between that sort of sporting merit and developing the game ethos. And it's also been a balance between the confederations. Is there a risk here? And I, I think there is. Is there a risk here that, that that balance within FIFA collapses now and we start to see a lot of unintended consequences from this politically? Well, even FIFA's own analysis acknowledges the fact that the status quo produces you know, better quality guaranteed football by sticking at 32 teams. And I think the, the main politics is going to come in Europe, as we just mentioned before, about the European Club Association are, are speaking out on the deal. And I wonder, actually, if a lot of that is down to the fact they need to be seen to be complaining because they need a bargaining position to extract more money from FIFA because, obviously, FIFA compensate the clubs for taking the players off them um, to make money themselves from the World Cup. So... The problem is the ECA arguments have been pretty weak because initially they were complaining that it will add to the burden on players. Well, there's no additional games and no additional days spent at the tournament under the um, new plans. And now they're sort of complaining about it being a sort of political decision. Um, this on the back of the ECA themselves basically entrenching the position of Italy, Spain, Germany, England with the guaranteed uh, spots in the Champions League for their top four teams. So uh, um, there's, there's politics at play all around and I think ultimately it's all about the European side, the clubs trying to sort of extract money from FIFA and assure that they're not making money uh, off the back of players that isn't sort of being redistributed. Yeah, after all, these uh, you know multi-million salaries that are being paid are, are being paid by the clubs and not by FIFA, who profits from it. Uh, and of course, interesting factor coming into this last thing, really, Rob, is is China. We we had a special show on China the other day, and and obviously looked at some of the the money that's been flying around. If things continue the way they are, by the time we get to 2026, quite a lot of the people who are going to be <laughs> paying those salaries are going to be Chinese businessmen. Um, but they're also a country that's uh, desperate to get back into the World Cup for the first time, for just the second time in their history, and they haven't been there since 2002. And uh, and this would presumably give them a, a bigger chance. But is, is there any indication that China is, is hurrying up on the World Cup front and wants to host 2026 themselves, or are they going to have to wait till 2030, 2034? Well, the, unless they get a sort of change in the FIFA statutes, they won't be able to follow Qatar as a, a second a successive Asian host. So, and even 2030 is problematic as well, uh, given the statutes. So they could be looking at 2034. Depends how impatient they are and whether or not the interest in in football 
last and, and whether or not they actually want to accelerate the process and sort of have everything in, in, in the next few years. It is a, a long time to wait. We're talking about almost two decades. Uh, and if this is really a long-term project or a, a short-term um, boost for the country and a sort of projection of soft power through sports, uh, obviously they have got the, the uh, Winter Games uh, coming to Beijing in 2022. So they have got an international sporting competition coming up. But... Uh, Perhaps waiting actually is advantageous because uh, unlike, as we see in Qatar, where their uh, national team, you want to sort of make sure you're actually strong as a nation on the field as well by the time you're hosting it, which Qatar will probably not be in a position to do in uh, in five years' time. Indeed, well, it's going to be interesting to see how this all spills out now. The battle for those extra slots, where they're going to be, how the qualifying processes happen in all the different confederations. The future of some of those confederations as well with their internal splits, the Caribbean in the CONCACAF, the East-West split in the AFC and many other issues, Eastern and West Europe aren't always uh, happy with their lot in UEFA either. So a lot of politics and a lot of decision-making to come over the next couple of years or, or maybe even longer if you're right that Johnny Infantino is going to use those issues in his election campaign which is a fascinating thought thanks very much indeed Rob Harris from AP for joining us good to join you and uh, look forward to discussing this on the podcast in 2026 on the eve of the tournament <laughs> hopefully we'll be around for it yeah cheers mate well thanks again for listening to the soccer file i'm simon evans and don't forget to subscribe at itunes or stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss the next episode of the soccer file my thanks to yanshi for the music and also to rob harris for being our guest today and i look forward to being back on the soccer file with you soon enjoy your football